At this time, if you'll stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word, our scripture this morning comes out of Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, as always, the words will be up on the screen behind me. This morning, hear the word of the Lord. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. The wise men told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. May God bless the reading of this word. Please be seated at this time. Well, Merry Christmas, White Oak. How are you guys doing? Good. It's cold, kind of like James said. It's starting to actually feel like Christmas. And so I'm actually kind of enjoying that. Um, I almost found a spare moment last night to watch a Christmas movie. I didn't, you know, uh, but I'm, I'm working on it. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite things to do is House and I, we like to eat hot chocolate or I guess drink hot chocolate. And uh, we eat other stuff. And uh, we watch Christmas movies and hang out. And uh, I hate cold weather. And so I'm like, I, I don't like that part of it. Um, but it does feel kind of nostalgic. And so I, I hope you're enjoying your Christmas season um, as we gather together here today. The title of the sermon is a little bit differently, uh, different this morning, and it's t- the sermon's entitled Rich Rebels. And I think if you'll hang with me through the sermon, I think that'll make a little bit more sense. And, you know, I find it interesting that I think maybe there was a time when going to church meant that um, you would hear a message about kind of living in line with the world around you and, and doing good and, and things like that, and yet what I found increasingly as kind of our culture seems to have a different narrative than the church and uh, as the world around us seems to kind of exhibit different values in different ways, that the message of the church and the message of Jesus becomes, I guess, increasingly rebellious. And so ironically, the message today is going to be an opportunity to, to kind of challenge you and the way that you think about things, right? This is no hard, fast rule. Um, This is nothing that I want to legalistically put over you and say you have to do this. But what we're talking about this morning in terms of spending less this Christmas, that we may experience more this Christmas, is something for us to strongly consider. 
And so I'll be honest, probably from the commercials you're going to hear and the different things you're going to hear in the culture, this message will seem probably altogether very rebellious, and yet I think it is compelling as we seek to follow Jesus this Christmas. Looking at our text this morning in Matthew chapter 2, what we find is there's a guy named King Herod. And Herod is the ruler of the day um, over the Jewish people. And what happened was when Jesus was born, there was a king that was coming into the world. Jesus Christ was the king, and God had sent him to rule over the people and to free his people from things like slavery spiritually and the bondage and the poverty and all of the brokenness. Like God gave us his son Jesus to save us. And yet when this new king began to emerge, some wise men came seeking to see this king. And he thought, well, I guess if I want to find the new king, maybe I should go to where the current rulers are, because probably he was born there. And so as we read in our text, these, these wise men who um, God had revealed that, that, that Christ was coming into the world, these wise men show up at the current rulers of the day. They ask, hey, so where's this new king? And all of a sudden, the ruler of the day, Herod, becomes very threatened because he's the ruler of the day. He's the one in charge. And he says, well, I don't know. And being crafty, he says, in an attempt to get rid of this new king, even if it's a baby, he'll just get rid of the baby, right? To, to, and in order to kind of maintain his power and his authority, he tells these wise men, I don't know where he is, but whenever you find him, be sure you come and let me know that I may too come worship him, he says. And yet as we read later on in scripture, we know that Herod the ruler has no intention of worshiping Jesus, but in fact wants to destroy him that he may maintain his rule and his reign. Herod lies in this text. Herod is deceptive and he is manipulative and he takes the wise men's pursuit of this new king and tries to hijack it for his own purposes in this world that he may maintain power. You see, what Herod has in our text this morning is an ulterior motive. And while it's easy to look at the past, right, and say, well, back in the day, that was not a good thing to be done. That was evil. That was a distraction, right? He didn't really want to worship the king. That was kind of a thing back then. What about our day and age? What are the things in our world, in our lives, in our culture what are the things on our televisions and on our radio sets? What are the things before our eyes that have ulterior motives during this Christmas season that might seek to distract us? And I think one of those things that can seek to be a distraction is this idea of consumerism. I think in our world today, if you'll notice, this is the time when all of the sales are happening and all of the commercials and the really good deals that are meant to tempt us into buying things. This is where consumerism, this idea that, that pretty much one of the main goals of life is to buy things and consume things and use them and enjoy things and spend your money and upgrade yourself to the next level and, you know, as you get older, drive a nicer and nicer car and get nicer and nicer technology and all these kinds of things, right? We kind of want to upgrade and one-up even ourselves and the things that we have. Consumerism says build an entire life around you and your preferences and the things that you want. And during this Christmas season, we find the greatest temptation where consumerism attempts to kind of hijack Christmas to a degree and say, oh, we, we want to celebrate the birth of Jesus too. Here's a flat screen for $4.99.99 at Best Buy. 
Anyone else get tempted? I mean, Best Buy, like who, who likes going to Best Buy? I mean, I go into Best Buy and it's like, there's a million things I need that I did not even know that I needed, you know? Like my, my cell phone's been having like battery issues. Anyone got battery issues on their cell phone? Man, it's just dying like quick, you know? And so I, I just found out, maybe I should have known about this for a long time, but there's actually uh, extra batteries that you can buy or like things you can like hook onto your phone that like give you a full charge, you know? And it's only like 30 bucks. I'm like, I need this, you know? Because it's too much work to take my charger with me. You know, all these little gadgets and things we want to buy, all these little things that we just need so desperately. For the first time ever, I'd actually heard these different stats, but I actually looked up this year the actual stats for what is projected to be spent at Christmas this year financially. And it literally blew me away. I knew it was a lot, right? But, but get ready for this, okay? And if you want to look this up for yourself, you can. You can go to the National Retail Federation. It's like a legit site. It's a legit group sponsored by the government. They project like the economy and the sales and all these kind of things, right? You can Google National Retail Federation and find all these numbers for yourselves. But they are guessing right now that the average American consumer this Christmas is going to spend, per adult, $935 just on Christmas gifts. That's outside of the mortgage or the rent or your normal bills or utilities or food. I mean, this is literally money on top of everything we're already spending just to live, right? Every adult. So if you're a couple, that means on average you're going to spend probably around $1,800, And some of you are like, man, I'm broke compared to those statistics, you know. But there's people that are going to spend even more than that, right? Because that's an average. And here's where it gets crazy. So normally every year, Christmas sales go up by about 2.5%. So on average, whatever was spent last year, roughly maybe 2.5% more than that will be spent the next year. But this year, the NRF is predicting that there will be a 3.6% increase. And don't fool yourself. That extra 1.1% is massive. It is billions of dollars. This is, the, this is my favorite statistic. They project that this Christmas, that in-store sales will be around $656 billion. $650 We have a lot of money as a society. That, that is ridiculous. And yet, let me put this into perspective for you. They project, there's there's a a group called Living Water International that helps take clean water to people all across the world who don't have access to it like we do, right? They don't have a faucet in their house that when they turn it on, clean, safe water comes out, right? There are people that have dangerous drinking water situations, and that to bring clean drinking water to the entire world would cost roughly $10 billion. And yet we as Americans are going to spend $656 billion on Christmas gifts. But wait, there's more, okay? That's just in-store sales. Add non-store sales, which I don't even know what that is, honestly. I didn't look it up, right? I guess it's like things bought outside of a store, right? Yeah, online, whatever, right? But I would still think online would be an in-store sale. It's just online, anyway. Um, anyway, I listened to the NRF. They say that a 100- hundred. 117 billion more will be spent on non-store sales. And so if you add all that up, $773 billion will be spent by us on Christmas this year. They also say that Americans accumulate, and this isn't hard to believe, more debt in the month of December than any other month. And I was thinking about that this week. I'm like, I mean, so why is that? Is all of a sudden our living conditions go up in the month of December? 
Do we need food or, or rent or shelter more in the month of December than we do any other time of the year? And of course the answer is no. The problem is simply that we buy into this culture that December is the time of month where you buy things. And spending $936 is no more beneficial in December versus March, but we feel this kind of impulse where it's kind of okay because that's what you do. If we are not careful, Christmas will become about more, about accumulation, and about spending. In Matthew chapter 4, before Jesus begins his public ministry, Satan comes and tempts Jesus. And I want to read this for you. You don't need to turn there with me. But Matthew 4, verses 8 through 10, I want you to hear what Satan tempts Jesus with. It says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. But then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Do you notice what Satan tempts Jesus with? He tempts him with more. He says, I will give you more kingdoms, more power, more uh, possessions, more stuff. The, The glory and the riches of all these places I will give to you. He offers Jesus more. And I think a lot of times when I'm tempted and when you're tempted, we're tempted with the, with the accumulation of getting more things, right? Notice Satan never tempts us with things like happiness or fulfillment because only God can offer those things. The enemy always tempts us with more stuff, more self-focus, more money, more possessions, more power, more authority in different kinds of ways. But Satan never tempts us or he never offers us more peace, more happiness, or more fulfillment, because those are things that only Jesus can bring us. And yet, as we look this Christmas to not be so controlled by spending, right, and we're going to talk here in a moment, it's, it's not bad to buy things. I'm buying gifts for people, right, and we're going to talk about how to do that in a good, godly, biblical manner. But what's the underlying notion for why we should spend less? Is it just something where go without and kind of live more so in poverty or, or live with less just because that's a good thing to do? Is, is that the real reason? Is, are we just giving you another command or another rule or another law to follow? Like, like why is one of the tenets of Advent conspiracy after worship fully, why is it to spend less? What is the core of that? And that's what I'm excited to share with you this morning because I think at the core of why we spend less church, and I want you to hear this and I want you to believe this this morning because it's true even though we doubt it at times. We already have everything in Jesus. We already have everything that you could ever want or that you could ever need in Jesus. But the problem is we forget this and the new iPhone has a lot of really cool features, right? And, you know, oh, Target too, man. Target's like the worst because they got like a wide array of stuff, you know. And you like going to Target and it's, it's wide array and it's cheap and it's cute. And I hear girls like Target a lot too. And so I'm with the, I'm with the ladies on this one. I lo- I've always loved Target, right, like unashamed. But in Jesus, you already have everything that is important in this life. This Christmas, I believe that we are called to be rich rebels, meaning a people that walk around as if we are the richest people on the face of the earth. Not in money, right? Because who says that rich is a thing of money? Who, who made that rule up? And when you say the word rich, why do we always assume money? 
The actual word rich could be applied to anything. The word rich could be applied to I'm rich in friendships. Right? Rich just means in abundance. It means that you have a lot. And yet we've even associated that word to the point where we just think it's all about money. Rich means I've got a lot of money in my bank account. But what about the people who are rich in happiness? What about us who are rich in spirit? Isn't that what the Sermon on the Mount is? Is that blessed are those who are poor? Blessed are those who maybe don't accumulate all the perfect things that the world says you want, but they have the spiritual things that really matter in the end. The remedy to more this Christmas is ultimately the birth of Jesus. Because the birth of Jesus, church, gives you everything that you really want and you really need in this life. If you're with Christ, you literally already have everything. Let me give you just a a very brief but amazing list of the things that we have in Jesus and of which the birth of Jesus confirms for us. We have the forgiveness of sin. We are forgiven for all of our sin and all of our wrongdoing in Christ. You already have that this Christmas. You have the forgiveness of all your sin. You are washed clean of all your sin and all your wrongdoing. And to follow that one more further, you also have no more guilt this Christmas. You should not live in guilt because Christ loves you. And because Christ paid the penalty of your sin on the cross. And it says that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So yeah, you may not have a Lamborghini this Christmas, right? But would you rather have that or a life at peace because you have no more sin counted against you because of your faith in the gospel? And because you are living a life with no guilt and no shame. And any shame that tempts us is not true. It is only a work of the enemy. And we disbelieve it. And we live with no guilt in this life. Yeah, you may not have the latest and greatest phone, or maybe some of you do, right? But you do have eternal security and happiness. I don't think about this one enough, right? If you're like me, we're always in the moment. And that's a good thing to live in the moment and focus on, like, the now. And yet, have you ever stopped to think just five minutes about the reality of, of like, heaven and the new earth and the eternal security that comes when we love God and that he will, he will be with us not just in this life, but even after we die and for all eternity, that we have an eternal security and perfect happiness awaiting us beyond this broken world? You already have that this Christmas. The birth of God shows us that God loves us. That is amazing. The God of the universe that created every planet and every star and the oceans and the mountains, the God that created oxygen and and gravity and, and everything that exists, the God that creates every single good thing literally loves you. You may not have a $25 Starbucks gift card after this Christmas, but the God of the universe loves you. You already have that this Christmas. God shows us in the birth of Christ that he will provide for us in our deepest needs, that he will be with us, that when the world was broken and longing, like that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, says that rejoice, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that like we sing that song because in light of the birth of Christ, we show that there was a fulfillment that came when God's people were in need, that God will meet your needs this Christmas and then in January and in February and in March. God has shown you that he will provide for your needs. You already have that this Christmas. 
God tells us in the birth of Jesus that we are empowered to see past this world, that we have the Holy Spirit that dwells amongst us, that we're, we're not always stressed out about the things of this world like money and possessions and fame and what people think of me. I don't have to be addicted to the approval of others because in the end it really doesn't matter what they think about me. That we have the Spirit that helps us see beyond this world and beyond the Black Friday sales and beyond the things in our life that are not coming together and beyond the pain and the brokenness and the issues that we can see beyond those things. Do you realize this Christmas that you already have that? Church, this morning, when, when, I, when I say that we need to be content, and if you're, if you're going to write something down, this might be a good thing to write down. Contentment is not settling for less. Contentment is, is simply realizing what God has already done. Contentment is not about settling, but about realizing what God has already done for you. Contentment is not like life is not good and just deal with it. Just be okay with that. Just, just kind of accept that you're going to have all these issues for your whole life. Like just kind of accept it. Contentment is not acceptance. That's acceptance. Contentment is, is seeing the wonder of what God has already done for us and being satisfied with what is already enough, but of which we often so easily just look past. Contentment is opening your eyes to what God has done. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In the, in the Greek, all things means all things, right? In the Hebrew and French, it means all things, okay? All things. Not like 90% of the things that we need, right? Not like 80% or 50%, not like most of them. Everything that we truly need in this life, every need that you have in your life that is really important, hear this this morning, God will provide for you every single time. Everything that is important, God gives us. Everything that is important. And even in the pain and the brokenness and the longing, and you're like, well, John, but I've got this disease and I've got this problem and, and, and I haven't gotten my cure yet. I haven't got my solution or I'm broke. I mean, whatever the problem is, the scripture says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, meaning that even our cancer will glorify God and do a good work in our life. Everything is good. And we already have this. Paul continues in Romans 8 by saying, No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything will separate us this Christmas. Hear this this morning. Regardless of how much money you have, regardless of how much money you brought in this year and the kind of gifts that you can afford to get or not get for your family, the gift that you need and the gift that your family needs has already been given, and it is Jesus Christ. And here's the good news. It's absolutely free. The gift of salvation is free. I mean, God could have charged me five nine nine. You know, I mean, at least a little bit. You know, to make us value it, right? But it's absolutely free. All that it takes is that we take a step towards Him. 
the words of Jesus for you and your family are far more satisfying than any gift card could be this Christmas because you don't know what to get somebody, right? Which, by the way, I do like Starbucks gift cards, you know, and so, you know, just stuff like that. I do use those, you know. But I would hope the difference is, and let's be honest, sometimes, like, you know, you, like, you really want something and you don't get it. That's the struggle of being a kid, right? And, and maybe your kids are really smart, but most kids, you just can't get it, you know? And so I, I know you hear a sermon like this, and you're like, yeah, but try, like, my seven-year-old. You know, try, like, I, I, there's a rough phase, let's be honest, right? I mean, I grew up in church, and, and for me, Christmas was still a lot about the presents, you know, and Sa- Santa Claus and all those kind of things. I mean, like, like let's be honest. Like, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to teach them all these, like, theological truths when they're eight years old, right? So there's a season where you're, you're just kind of hanging in there with your kids, and maybe when they get to, like, maybe, like, teenage years, you kind of really start explaining, like, the deep theological truths that happen here and the real meaning of what's happening in this moment. But why do may we be rich rebels, May we be rich in spirit, rich in happiness, rich in contentment. And may we be rebellious against the culture that is driven by consumerism and greed and accumulation and more and more and more and more. May we look at the culture differently. May we be rich in God's spirit. May we be weak at times but strong in Christ. May we see ourselves as the richest people in the world. Yes, some of us, we may not have a ton of money this Christmas. We we may be broke, though some of us may have more. But we are definitely rich in the Spirit of God. We, as a church, we are rich in meaning. We are rich in purpose. We are rich in love. We are rich in hope. We are rich in wonder and happiness. We are rich in beauty. We are rich in compassion for our neighbor. We are rich in community as the church. We are rich in family. In other words, we are rich in all the things that really matter in this life. And yet this Christmas, you will hear this message, and I will hear this message, and we will walk out, and this week will be a struggle. We will be tempted with more. And while there are good things to spend our money on and there are good gifts, and we're going to talk about that here in one moment, there are also things that are are really just a moment of lust for stuff. When I was in college, I... uh, I got a car. Uh, my first car was like literally a truck that I, I saw on the side of the road and it had a for sale sign and I bought it, you know. Um, or my mom bought it. Someone bought it anyway. But it was like, I mean, it was like one of those things where it was like, it, it was literally just a, to get you from A to B and half the time it struggled to just do that, you know. But uh, in college, I saved up a little bit of my money and I bought my first, it wasn't a new car, it was a used car, but compared to the car that I used to have, it was like a brand new like Lamborghini, right? Um, and it's actually the car that I still drive to this day. Y'all see my 2006 Ford Escape standing out there in the front. It's a really nice looking car, at least I think so. It's grown on me. I've been driving it for a long time now. It's over 10 years old. But I bought that car, and uh, I thought, I was under the false impression that whenever you buy a newer car, you don't have car issues anymore, right? That that's supposed to be a thing of the past, right? Apparently that's not the case, and especially when you buy a used car. And so, you know, I saved up all the money I could to, to get this car and get it on somewhat of an affordable payment. And I buy this car, and um, like I said, it seemed like the nicest thing ever. Right? Like, it was an amazing, you know, gift to myself, you know. And uh, I remember driving it the first week, true story, and um, I got a flat tire. The first week, you know, the first week. And I was actually driving kind of fast on a, on a road by my, my college campus, you know. 
Um, and it kind of startled me because I got a flat tire while I was driving, you know, kind of spooked me a little bit. And um, after that, I, I kept having this issue. I was kind of paranoid about getting a flat tire because I thought maybe there's something wrong with the car. Maybe it's faulty or, or whatever. So I kind of really began to get paranoid that, like, I had issues with my tires. And after that, I had this issue where the, uh, the car sensor kept going off that tells you, you know, that little blinking light when your, your air pressure is low, you know, like where it's like, okay, your, your air pressure is low in your tire. That light kept going off. And so true story, for a, for a two-week period, I began to almost live my entire life around going to the gas station, you know, several times a week and filling up my tires. And I got to the point, like, I don't think I can put any more air in them. This is getting kind of dangerous, you know. And it seems like everything is fine, but it keeps blinking. And I can't put enough air in these tires to get that stupid light to go off, you know. And so I was paranoid that I'm going to be on the freeway going 70 miles an hour and I'm going to get another flat tire or I'm going to get stranded somewhere. I mean, I was, it, it began to consume my entire life. And so eventually I took it to my, my trusty um, mechanic, which in, in life there are a few things more of a blessing than a really good, trustworthy mechanic, amen. I mean, praise the Lord, you know. And it was actually, I don't know if you guys remember, some of you from Oak Forest might remember, but where the Berry Hill Tacos used to be in Oak Forest, there was a mobile station, right? And there was an amazing mechanic there named Peter. And Peter was a really nice man. And Peter understood that I was a broke college student. And so I told him, hey, man, can you look at this for me? Um, don't fix it because I can't pay you. And I can't pay you to look at it, you know. But, uh, you know, just kind of look at it and let me know. And being the good, amazing man that he was, he was nice enough to do that for me. I said, be sure you don't fix it because I can't pay for it, you know. And so he looks at it for me and he comes back and he was like, he's like, well, I got some good news and I got some bad news. He was like, well, I was like, well, what's the good news? He's like, the good news is your tires are fine. I said, well, it's the bad news. He's like, well, the bad news is, is that your sensor is broken, right? And I didn't even know, honestly, that I didn't know cars had sensors for this kind of stuff. That was like a whole new world to me. And I was like, but wait, you're telling me this. This is like blowing my mind. I was like, so you're telling me the thing that is supposed to tell me if something is broke is broke. That's what you're telling me, right? So like, like, he, he was like, yeah, you can kind of say it like that. I was like, so the thing that is supposed to let me know if something is wrong, there's something wrong with that thing. He's like, yeah. And I said, well, what do I need to do? He's like, well, you can pay to fix it. And he gave me this price that, of course, I could not afford, you know, buy a new sensor and install it and everything. He's like, you can either do that or since I know you're broke, he's like, you can just live with the light blinking on and off and just ignore it. Just make sure your tires are aired up and you'll be good. And so literally for the next two years, I, I literally had this sensor that was always going off and blinking on and off and all this kind of stuff for, for two years. Couldn't afford it, but I just monitored my tires. And the reason why I say that is because in my life, I think there's a sensor in me that is broken, and I call it the sensor of more. And if you're like me, every time I go to a store, the sensor goes off. And every time I get on Amazon, it starts blinking in my soul, you need this. And every time I go to Sears, I'm getting to the age now where I like power tools and lawnmowers and things like that. You know, it's like, you need this. And it's blinking and it's blinking, right? Or how about this? You see somebody across the street from you or you see a friend of yours that gets something new and there's something inside you that says, hey, John, you need that. And you have the money technically in your account. You could have that tomorrow. And it blinks, and it blinks, and it goes off, and it goes off. And I think what we are called to do in this life, in light of the struggles that we still have, is to realize that that sensor will always be going off in your heart. And you have to learn at times to just ignore it and realize that one day there will be a time in eternity when we are no longer tempted with those things, where we finally get, I guess you could say, a new sensor in our hearts 
that is more content than the life that we currently live. In Luke chapter 2, it says, And the angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And long before all of our consumerism, and long before Christmas became about getting a whole bunch of gifts at the core of what was happening, there was a beautiful and wonderful Savior and a God who wanted a relationship with us that far extends beyond the things of this world. May we be content this Christmas. But really quick, let me give you three things of how to actually do this, right? We want to fight consumerism. We want to stay focused. We want to rebel against the disease of more and more and more. But how do you actually do this? First thing is this, is to walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. One of the most amazing things about following Jesus is that we're not just following Jesus and there's like this kind of distance between us and him, but that God literally gives his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And man, honestly, I don't think about this enough. And this is one of those things that's so powerful and so life-changing. And yet I just kind of put it in the back of my life, but the Spirit of God lives inside of you. If you follow Jesus, he's with you every single place that you go. He's with you right now as you sit in this seat. He's with you when you go to work. He's with you during that tough time. He's with you in that moment of temptation. The Spirit of God is with you when you're with your family, when you're with people that frustrate you, when you're going through a good time and you're celebrating, when you're going through a bad time and you're depressed. The Spirit of God is with you every single place that you go. And it even includes the moments when we're asking ourselves the question of, do I buy this? Do I spend money on this? Maybe the answer is yes, but maybe the answer is no. And someone told me this once, and it's going to sound like really basic, but I'm, I'm telling you, like, this actually works. And I don't know why, but just saying this out loud is really helpful. Whenever you're, you're not sure about buying something, or, or even you have a decision that extends far beyond, you know, if you're going to buy something or not, right? Any decision in your life, any big decision, what do I do, right? Should I do this or should I do that? This job or this job? This house or this house, right? Do I buy this or do I not? Do I show my affection through buying this gift for them or do I get them something else? Or, or, or do I just give them something more meaningful? It doesn't cost any money. Simply do this. You can say this out loud if maybe no one's around you um, and, or if someone's around you, this might be kind of weird, right? But any question you ask, ask yourself this. Is this of the flesh, which means of my old self, of the self, the part of me that focuses on myself and, and greed and those kind of things. Is this of the flesh or is this of the spirit? And you will be amazed that when you draw that line in the sand, how easy a lot of our decisions become. In Galatians 5, uh, Paul kind of gives us an, an, an overlook of kind of what this, what this looks like. He says in verse 19 of chapter 5, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, Get this, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, right, that could be applied, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom. But verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, when God is at work, here's the fruit, here's what you will see, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, 
Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. The common notion in our world is to walk by what you feel. And yet we are called as followers of Christ to walk by the Spirit of God, to be rich in love, rich in happiness, rich in contentment, being willing to open our eyes to the blessings that we already have. And if we buy things as an extension of our love or affection, that's a beautiful thing. But our Christmas is not controlled by the things that you get or you don't get. Man, I remember as a kid, like the biggest struggle was like, I, you know, I would always compare all the gifts I got to like my sister. And if she got more gifts, then it was a bad Christmas. And if I got better stuff, it was a good Christmas for me, right? And you're comparing. I literally just got like 15 new things, right? But if they're, but if they're not better than the things that she got, I, I felt this like rivalry, this, this, this dissension. And it's so stupid, you know? And I think even as adults, we, we just transfer that to like houses and cars and money and retirement packages and, you know, do we go on vacations and things like that. You know, they say comparison is the thief of joy. And it's so true. But we walk by the Spirit and we daily discern, God, do I, I do this? Do you want me to buy this gift? Is this, is this a good thing? Is this, is, is, is a love of neighbor in this? Or am I just doing it to do it? Second thing is spend less to give more this Christmas. You know, when I think of generosity in my own life, it's one of those things where, like, the thought of giving to somebody isn't a crazy concept, but the thought that I would actually spend less on myself, right, to give to somebody else is one of those things where I'm like, man, I don't know about that, right? To go without a certain kind of meal or something, right? To, to go without a certain product that I would take that money and I would give it to somebody else, is a very challenging concept. This Christmas, I challenge you as we, as we look at the things that we spend money on to, to be generous, right? To be generous specifically to those who are in need. Here at Wide Oak, we have so many good opportunities to give. Um, on December 18th, we have our Lottie Moon offering, which goes to Global Missions, which are people that go all across the world and spread the hope and the love and the wonder of the name of Jesus and his salvation to people that have never heard it. You can give to that offering, that's that, and all that money goes directly to people who are on the mission field spreading the hope of Jesus. We also have our angel tree, which you can see it's like a beautiful tree set up in the back. And on that, you can basically go get an angel, which has gifts for local kids in our community that don't have the money to have a good Christmas. And some of the things they need, it's not like a basketball, it's like clothes. I need shoes. I need functional things that often many of us, we just kind of take for granted. You can actually help support a kid in our community by giving them gifts. And that's an image of where it's a beautiful thing to give people gifts. Because it's an extension of love to a kid who might not feel like anybody loves or cares about them. But we have a chance to meet that need. Maybe you know somebody who who has a need this Christmas that you can meet. You will not regret helping them. And the last thing is this, number three, give gifts well. Let's be honest. In Matthew chapter 2, the text we read this morning, the wise men gave Jesus gifts, right? And that's the, that's the thing about gifts is it's actually a very biblical and a very godly thing. The problem is we just put that sucker on steroids, you know, and, and then we get $773 billion spent on Christmas here in America, right? Giving gifts is like a, is a really amazing thing. And spending money to bless somebody with something is a really good thing if it is born out of love. 
if it is born out of, compare, uh, of compassion for that person. You'll notice that the, the wise men brought uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I don't have time to go into it, but those were like specific gifts that had specific meanings that correlated with the worship of Jesus that they felt in their hearts genuinely. Giving gifts is a really good thing. Giving gifts is even a, a spiritual gift. Like giving is a, is a gift, right? And yet in this moment, we want to make sure that we give gifts because we love people and because we care about them and because it is a reflection ultimately of what God has done for us. Giving gifts should always be a way of spreading love and affection. And so if you give a gift this Christmas, I just pray you give it well. But as we draw to a close, if you do have your Bible, I want you to turn me really quick to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. It's at the end of the chapter. And as we kind of hang our hat for this week of Advent, I really want us to zone in on this idea. Matthew chapter 11. Let's start at verse 27. In light of all of the busyness this Christmas season... And a lot of all of the, the sales and the deals and all the things that we are going to be tempted to make Christmas all about. Hear these words of Jesus, starting in verse 27. He says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone who, who the Son chooses to reveal him. Here's where it gets good. Verse 28. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As we approach Christmas and as we head out for another week of um, really asking ourselves the question as to kind of what this Christmas is going to look like for us. My simple question for you today is, do you really want a bunch of presents this Christmas? Do you really want more stuff? Or at the core of it, do you really want peace? At the core of it, do you really want rest? I pray this Christmas that what you would seek would be the things of the Lord. I pray that what you seek this Christmas would be to know God more fully. Because that is a gift that will extend for your, not only your entire life, but for all eternity. I pray that as it says in the scriptures that we will not store up treasures here on earth, but treasures in heaven. I pray we will invest in our relationship with the Lord and our family and our friends to our brother in need. And I pray that we will buy gifts out of a sense of love and compassion, but ultimately out of a reflection of what God gave the world, which is everything. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your gracious word this morning. And God, I thank you for the challenge that you give us to seek you this Christmas. And God, I know that for many of us, Lord, contentment is a really hard thing. That it feels like we constantly have all these things that we want and there's all these things that we're longing for. And yet my prayer is this morning, Father, that we would be content because you would open our eyes to see what you've done for us. 
God, we already have everything. And would you make that true in our hearts this Christmas? God, would you give us a contentment so that we as your church can be generous to the world around us and to those that need? May we be givers. May we be lovers of the people around us in the name of Jesus Christ. May we see the kingdom come in our hearts through a radical peace that surpasses all understanding. And may people look at us and say they may not have as much money as other people, but they're the richest people in the world. We love you, God. We thank you for that. Make that true in our hearts this Christmas. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.